Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, June 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely a lot of great listening over there. As my buddy Gene Clyatt says on his Squirrel Chatter podcast, um, that you'll, you'll find something to listen to or double your money back, which your money's zero, so would be zero but anyways um i also want to continue to point you at the final two links in our show notes uh the next to last one is for the vale valley baptist church give sin go campaign we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a christian classic education based school to provide a trustworthy alternative within our community so go ahead and click on the link it'll give you a much more thorough description then we would ask three things of you to pray for us, to prayerfully consider giving to us, and to pass the link along so others can do the same. Now, the last link in our show notes is for Nathaniel Jolly, a brother of mine in Christ. Um, it is for, and it's labeled Transportation for Church Planters Jollies. Uh, they went up to Alaska a couple of years ago. They're church planters, um, and they've got a church plant going up there, and Nathaniel's doing some wonderful work up there. But when they went up there, and and this is typical when, when you head up someplace like that, they went up and they bought a car there instead of trying to take anything from in, here in the continental United States up there. Um, so they, they bought a used vehicle up there. It is broke and it is critical both for their family and for their mission up there for the, for their church plant. Um, they're looking at needing around $8,000 to get it fixed. Uh, trying to buy something else would be even more expensive. So they're trying to go the cheaper route, but they need help with it. Uh, Nathaniel does not draw, um, a salary up there. Okay. So I, again, I would ask you for that link as well, go ahead and click on the link and read through and Nathaniel describes their needs and what's going on. Um, then we would ask you to do the same thing as I do for the Vale Valley Baptist church gifts and go for this one as well, read it. Then we, I would ask you to pray for them, to prayerfully consider giving to them and to pass that link along as well so that others can give and can support them as well. Um, wonderful brother in Christ, he and his wife, just wonderful up there doing great work and in, in desperate need. So please do what you can. I mean, prayerfully consider it truly. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and do our Bible reading for the day. Like I said before, we're like I said yesterday, we're a day behind. So I'm actually reading. Um, I believe this is June, June 1st's reading, I believe is correct. Um, but okay, but we're going to go ahead and open up with the Friday stuff. So we're going to go ahead and open up with the six day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness, infinite, thy compassions, unfailing, thy providence, boundless. Thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. 
How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, and the morning devotion for June 2nd from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. In every believer's heart, there is a constant struggle between the old nature and the new. The old nature is very active and loses no opportunity of plying all the weapons of its deadly armory against newborn grace. While on the other hand, the new nature is ever on the watch to resist and destroy its enemies. Grace within us will employ prayer and faith and hope and love to cast out the evil. It takes unto it the whole armor of God and wrestles earnestly. These sorry, these two opposing natures will never cease to struggle so long as we are in this world. The battle of Christian with Apollyon lasted three hours, but the battle of Christian with himself lasted all the way from the wicked gate to the river Jordan. The enemy is so securely entrenched within us that he can never be driven out while we are in this body. But although we are closely beset and often in sore conflict, we have an almighty helper, even Jesus, the captain of our salvation, who is ever with us and who assures us that we shall eventually come off more than conquerors through him. With such assistance, the newborn nature is more than a match for its foes. Are you fighting with the adversary today? Are Satan, the world, and the flesh all against you? Be not discouraged nor dismayed. Fight on, for God himself is with you. Jehovah Nisi is your banner, and Jehovah Rophi is the healer of your wounds. Fear not, you shall overcome, for who can defeat omnipotence? Fight on, looking unto Jesus. And though long and stern be the conflict, sweet will be the victory, and glorious the promised reward. From strength to strength, go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. All right, and we're going to start our reading. I'm going to take some water here real quick. All right, better. All right, our reading from today is going to be 2 Samuel 18 through 2 Samuel 19, verse 10. We're going to read all of John 20. Uh, we're going to read the end of Psalm 119, so verse 153 to the end of the, in the, the end of the psalm, and then Proverbs 16, verses 14 and 15. So, 2 Samuel 18. Then David numbered the people who were with him, and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent the people out, one-third under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite, and the king said to the people, I myself will surely go out with you also. But the people said, You should not go out, for if we indeed flee, they will not set their heart on us. Even if half of us die, they will not set their heart on us. But now you are worth ten thousand of us. So now it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. 
Then the king said to them, Whatever is good in your sight, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and thousands. Then the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king commanded all the commanders concerning Absalom. Then the people went out into the field to meet Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great, twenty thousand men. And the battle there was scattered over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Then Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Now Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, so he was left hanging between earth and heaven, while the mule that was under him passed onward. Then a certain man saw it. He told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Then Joab said to the man who had told him, Now behold, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten pieces of silver and a belt. So the man said to Joab, Even if I should receive one thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not send forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Keep for me the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Then Joab said, I will not wait around here before you. So he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom, while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and put him to death. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab restrained the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a deep pit in the forest, and set over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, each to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley, for he had said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Please let me run and proclaim the good news to the king that Yahweh has judged to save him from the hand of his enemy. But Joab said to him, You are not the man for the good news this day, but you shall proclaim the good news another day. However, you shall not proclaim the good news today, because the king's son has died. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. Now Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why would you run, my son, since you will have no reward for going? But whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by way of the plain and passed the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes, and look, and behold, a man running by himself. And the watchman called and told the king, and the king said, If he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, This one also is bringing good news. And the watchman said, I see that the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, This is a good man and comes with good news. And Ahimaaz called and said to the king, Peace. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, Blessed is Yahweh your God, who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. Then the king said, Is there peace with the young man Absalom? And Ahimaaz said, when Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was. Then the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. 
Behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, Let my lord the king receive good news, for Yahweh has judged to save you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, Is there peace with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. Then the king trembled and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? O Absalom, my son, my son. Second Samuel 19, uh, reading through verse 10. Then it was told to Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. And the salvation that day was turned to mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. So the people stole away to enter into the city that day, as people who are dishonored steal away when they flee in battle. But as for the king, he wrapped his face up. Then the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have shamed the faces of all your servants, who today have provided escape for your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, by loving those who hate you and by hating those who love you. For you have informed all of us today that princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, surely then it would be right in your eyes. So now arise, go out and speak to the heart of your servants. For I swear by Yahweh, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you. And this will be of greater evil for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. Then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled, each to his tent. And it happened that all the people were disputing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and provided us escape from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. So now why are you silent about having the king return? John chapter 20 now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, so the disciples went away again to where they were staying. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and so as she was crying she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? Thinking him to be, a gar be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the, 
to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So while it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and while the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Bring your finger here, and see my hands, and bring your hand here, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see, and yet believed. Therefore many other signs Jesus also did in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Psalm 119, verse 53 to the end. See my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Many are your compassions, O Yahweh. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and loathe them, those who do not keep your word. See how I love your precepts? O Yahweh, revive me according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart is in dread of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds much spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Those who love your law have much peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Yahweh, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry of lamentation come near before you, O Yahweh. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue answer with your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Yahweh, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have wandered off like a lost sheep. Search for your slave, for I have not forgotten your commandments. Finally, Proverbs 15, 16, verses 14 and 15. The wrath of a king is like messengers of death, but a wise man will atone for it. In the light of a king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud with the late rain. 
All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to use is divine promises. Let's pray. Glorious Jehovah, my covenant God, all thy promises in Christ Jesus are yea and amen, and all shall be fulfilled. Thou hast spoken them, and they shall be done, commanded, and they shall come to pass. Yet I have often doubted thee, have lived at times as if there were no God. Lord, forgive me that death in life, when I have found something apart from thee, when I have been content with ephemeral things. But through thy grace I have repented. Thou hast given me to read my pardon in the wounds of Jesus, and my soul doth trust in him, my God incarnate, the ground of my life, the spring of my hope. Teach me to be resigned to thy will, to delight in thy law, to have no will but thine, to believe that everything thou doest is for my good. Help me to leave my concerns in thy hands, for thou hast power over evil, and bringest from it an infinite progression of good. Until thy purposes are fulfilled, bless me with Abraham's faith, that staggers not at promises through unbelief. May I not instruct thee in my troubles, but glorify thee in my trials. Grant me a distinct advance in the divine life. May I reach a higher platform, leave the mists of doubt and fear in the valley, and climb to hilltops of eternal security in Christ, by simply believing he cannot lie, or turn from his purpose. Give me the confidence I ought to have in him, who is worthy to be praised, and who is blessed forevermore. Amen. All right, well, again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, June 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. We're going to be continuing on in our uh, in our Bible study, in our the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. Um, so let's just go ahead and get right in it. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with Christ is all. Christ is all from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. O lover to the uttermost. May I read the meltings of thy heart to me, in the manger of of thy birth, in the garden of thy agony, in the cross of thy suffering, in the tomb of thy resurrection, in the heaven of thy intercession. Bold in this thought, I defy my adversary, tread down his temptation, resist his schemings, renounce the world, am valiant for truth. Deepen in me a sense of my holy relationship to thee, as spiritual bridegroom, as Jehovah's fellow, as sinner's friend. I think of thy glory and my vileness, thy majesty and my meanness, thy beauty and my deformity, thy purity and my filth, thy righteousness and my iniquity. Thou hast loved me everlastingly, unchangeably. May I love thee as I am loved. Thou hast given thyself for me. May I give myself to thee. Thou hast died for me. May I live to thee. In every moment of my time, in every movement of my mind, in every pulse of my heart, may I never dally with the world and its allurements, but walk by thy side, listen to thy voice, be clothed with thy graces, and adorned with thy righteousness. Amen. All right. And the June 2nd evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is from Matthew 19.16, and it's just two words, Good Master. If the young man in the gospel used this title in speaking to our Lord, how much more fitly may I thus address him? 
He is indeed my master in both senses, a ruling master and a teaching master. I delight to run upon his errands and to sit at his feet. I am both his servant and his disciple and count it my highest honor to own the double character. If he should ask me why I call him good, I should have a ready answer. It is true that there is none good but one, that is God, but then he is God and all the goodness of deity shines forth in him. In my experience, I have found him good, so good indeed, that all the good I have has come to me through him. He was good to me when I was dead in sin, for he raised me by his Spirit's power. He has been good to me in all my needs, trials, struggles, and sorrows. Never could there be a better master, for his service is freedom, his rule is love. I wish I were one thousandth part as good a servant. When he teaches me... As my rabbi, he is unspeakably good. His doctrine is divine. His manner is condescending. His spirit is gentleness itself. No error mingles with his instruction. Pure is the golden truth which he brings forth, and all his teachings lead to goodness, sanctifying as well as edifying the disciple. Angels find him a good master and delight to pay their homage at his footstool. The ancient saints proved him to be a good master, and each of them rejoiced to sing, I am thy servant, O Lord. My own humble testimony must certainly be to the same effect. I will bear this witness before my friends and neighbors, for possibly they may be led by, by my testimony to seek my Lord Jesus as their master. Oh, that they would do so! They would never repent so wise a deed. If they would but take his easy yoke, they would find themselves in so royal a service that they would enlist in it forever. All right, well, like I said, we're continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, um, and we're continuing through a section about the, chil the whether th these Jewish leaders are children of Abraham or of Satan. Um, so the verses we've been through, verse 41a, we're going to continue from verse 41b on through verse 47. I'm going to go ahead and read those to you, and then we're going to dig into this. So 41a, as you are doing the deeds of your father. So going on from there, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and have come from God for I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. So, Again, so, you know, we've been, we've been dealing with this. So, um, let's, let's kind of look at this overall. So back in John five and six, we saw, um, this was the previous Passover from this. Now we got to remember this, this is happening around the time of the feast of booths, which is about six months prior to the Passover where Jesus is crucified. But John five and six is more around the previous Passover, as far as we can tell. Um, so from all that it looks like was about six months before. And again, Jesus at that time went head to head with these religious leaders, with the, with these Israeli, um, these Israelite leaders, sorry. Um, 
using a more modern term, the Israelite leaders. And he went head to head with them and, and they basically put him on trial because he heal, healed the man at the pool of Bethesda and healed him on a Sabbath. And he proceeded to, you know, it was, as we talked about at the time, it was almost an impromptu trial. And we eventually, you know, um, Jesus proclaims a number of things, including showing clearly that he has the same power that God does. But then he goes on to call the witnesses. We talked about the different witnesses, um, the witness of John the Baptist himself, who, who they seem to believe was a prophet. But the testimony of John the Baptist himself, the testimony of God himself in, in word form, in, in audible form at, at Jesus' baptism, um, the works Jesus was doing himself, the fact is, and we can sit there and talk miracles all, all you know, go, oh, this was a neat miracle, this was a neat miracle. You know what the crux of the miracles is? No one could have done them if they were from, unless they were from God. They could not have done them unless they were from God, directly sent by God. They in and of themselves, and that's why we have to realize they are a witness. He is from God. That is why he's able to do this. Um, so very, very clear. We've, we've got to grasp that. Um, and so he calls those witnesses. Well, here we are six months later back in Jerusalem again. And at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of, of, of uh, Tabernacles, um, and this is, I, I think, really when we get to this point in eight, we're probably after it a little ways. We've gone out the end of it, but he's still in Jerusalem, and he's still having to go head-to-head -head with these guys. And we've gone through these sections in um, John 8, and we saw him proclaim clearly that he's the light of the world. I mean, he makes clear that the world is darkness. And man walks in darkness, but that he's the light of the world, the only light of the world. And we watch these guys, they, they accuse him and he responds to him and he brings his, he brings forward his evidences to support his own testimony about the truth. Cause of course they tell him that his testimony doesn't matter because he testifies about himself. Well, he makes very, very clear that he's not the only one that testifies about him, um, which we already know from six months before. But again, we're dealing with folks that. Again, the next section we popped into is how to die in your sin. And we looked through those four, those four different things, the being self-righteous, being worldly, being unbelieving, and being willfully ignorant. And they are. And I'm sorry, honestly, if, if you look at that, you see how they build into each other, how the self-righteousness builds into worldliness because it's, uh, you know, I, I'm good enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm full of my own righteousness, so it's okay for me to do these worldly things. And then between those, we become less and less believing because we're righteous enough and the world is fine. And then we become willfully ignorant where we're intentionally ignoring the truth because it doesn't fit our narrative. It doesn't fit our agenda. That's where these guys were willfully ignorant. And I, and I'm sorry, I, I, the further and further, the more and more I read about these guys, the more I see they're willfully ignorant. Now, let me, let me clarify. This is not me looking down my nose at them because you and I would be in the same boat. We would be doing exactly the same thing. We can sit there and proclaim all we want to. No, 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 we would never do that. Yeah, we would. Yeah, we would. So we came at, you come out the end of that in John, in John chapter eight. And the next section where he's continuing to contend with them is about the truth setting you free. And, um, and we talked about, it. I, I talked about there, how truth has changed over history. It, it really hasn't, but the perception of truth has changed. We went through the enlightenment and man was so certain that he could reason beyond any kind of morality 
And then we hit postmodernism where truth became relative. It's not, but, but the concept was that everybody has their own truth. Well, so we got into this section about the truth will make you free. And we first saw the pathway to freedom. And we saw that pathway starting with believing in Christ and then continuing in the word and then knowing the truth and then finally being made free. But then we saw the pretense of freedom and then the true promise of freedom as we moved along through there. And and it was clear that this freedom, this freedom only comes through a saving faith in Christ. It only comes through Christ. He brings that truth. Thus, he makes us free. And he is the light of the world. He's the only one who can light us through the darkness. He is that only light we can go to. He, he, he is that lighthouse that can guide us. The only lighthouse that can guide us. So again, we hit this section. Um, it's verses, what is it? Verses 37 through 47, which again, children of Abraham or of Satan. And, and that's in reference to these Israeli leaders, these, these Israelite leaders, I should say, these Israelite leaders. And again, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, chief priests. And they continue to talk about themselves being children of Abraham, at least these first two sections that we dealt with over the last couple of evenings, which I think, well, one, one was Tuesday night and then one was last night. Um, and we saw there, they, they tried to make the claim that they're Abraham's physical children. And then they tried to make the claim that they're Abraham's spiritual children, neither of which they are, and Jesus refutes them clearly. But what they try to claim today in, in these la- this last set of verses is they can't claim to be the children of God. Again, verse 41, the end of it, we are not born of sexual a- 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 immorality, sorry, we have one father, God. But they don't. And Jesus makes that clear here. But, I, but I've got to look back at, I was sitting there thinking about it and I realized I hadn't brought out when we were talking before Luke three, this is John the Baptist preaching. This is before Jesus ministry. So he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. But indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, John the Baptist is very, very clear here that being a physical descendant of Abraham does not not get you salvation. It does not guarantee you a place in heaven, not in any way, shape, or form. And I talked about how even in our world, we, we have people, and I grew up thinking, you know, thinking that. Where, where we think that how we were raised, where we were raised, the, the, did we attend church regularly, all that stuff. And we tend to think that gets us into heaven, but it doesn't. It doesn't. The only thing that does is being children of God, is being truly saved, is, be, is, being, is having a saving faith in Christ. But again, like I said, we see them there, you know, um, you know, Jesus even acknowledges there about the, their claim to being Abraham's um, 
physical children. You know, he, he acknowledges, I know you're Abraham's seed, yet you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the, do the things which you heard from your father, making clear that Abraham is not truly their father. And again, it goes on in the next verses talking about it being Abraham's spiritual children, that they're not behaving the way Abraham did. Abraham behaved with faith, with love of God, with faith in God and trust in God. And they're not. Again, he calls them out. Uh, so, but he, it, we go on into our own verses. They say, we were not born. So let's get into 41B. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Well, the, the commentaries I looked at, they talk about it. You know, this is absolutely a possibility that they're making a reference to the, to the irregularity of Christ's birth, meaning his mother was pregnant before his mother and father had had relations except he was immaculately born. And, and the, but the fact is, you know, they're, they're, you know, is, is there the, is, is there the possible vision of, of, of impropriety? So they're calling it out, but then they try to say, we have one father, God, but look at Jesus response to it. If God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and have come from God for I have not even come of myself, but he sent me now. Of course, we sit there, and it's very easy in our own context to sit there and go, well, he's just telling them that. How, how are they necessarily supposed to believe him? Well, the fact is, all those witnesses from John 5 and 6, all those witnesses that we saw through that trial, and the miracles we've seen overall, even the, the miracle that preceded this, it, <laughs> it's like, seriously, are you kidding me? that they just can't get that we, we saw leading into John chapter seven. What, what, what's going on? I mean, even the, even the end of John chapter seven, um, it's, it's just the, these miracles he's been doing attest to it of themselves. The fact is, if he were not from God, he could not do miracles. We have, we have to understand that if he were not from God, he could not be doing the miracles he's doing. And the miracles are attested to, Witnesses all, all over the place are coming to these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and, and chief priests and going, we're seeing this happen. There are too many for them to just blow off. So it's very, very clear that he proceeded forth and has come from God for I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. Well, of course he sent him. Otherwise he wouldn't be there. But he's making clear, and again, he's making a rhetorical, if God were your father, you would love me. Of course, he's saying, if God were your father, but he's not, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from him. And he goes, why do you not understand what I am saying? And then he gives the answer for it. It's because you cannot hear my word. Again, he's saying, my word is from God, and because God is not your father, you can't hear it. And then he tells him why. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. There's where he lays it out in no uncertain terms. You are of the father, your devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You basically want to do the desires of the, your, of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Again, he's call, calling out two clear sins. He's a murderer and he doesn't stand in the truth. He's a liar. And he, go, he goes on. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, he said clearly, this is your father. They're seeking. We can't forget that. They are seeking to murder Jesus. We will see in the, in the last verses, in verse 46, he calls them out. 
He has not done anything wrong. He has not sinned. He has done nothing deserving of death, but they want to murder him because he's messing with their agenda. He's messing with their status quo. He's calling them out for the hypocrites and and, and the vile monsters that they are. And they want to murder him. And they are ignoring the fact, they, they are attesting to the fact and saying that he's not the son of God, which is a blatant lie. They are manifesting, again, this, this end part of verse 44, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, he's saying that about the devil, but it also applies to them. When they speak a lie, they speak from their own nature, for they are liars and, and, and they, their father is the father of lies. And he wraps up there, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Again, he's making clear, you're not even capable of of hearing what I say and understanding it as the truth because you are of your father of the devil. You are of your father, the father of lies. That's what he's hammering home here. He's making very, very clear. You not only are not children of Abraham, either physically or spiritually, but you're not the children of God either. Whether you proclaim it or not, again, they said, we have one father, God. No, they don't. Jesus is very, very clear. If you were of of God, here's how you would behave, but you are behaving this way, which makes clear that you are of the devil. You are of your father, the devil. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? Again, he's making very, very clear. It's a rhetorical question. Nobody's going to convict him. And then he asks again, if I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Again, making clear, if I speak truth, and the thing is, what he is speaking, they know is true. I mean, it's proving out. He makes a statement and it happens. He does the miracles. They know that he couldn't do those miracles if he wasn't of God. They know this. So he's speaking the truth. The fact is, not only does John the Baptist attest to who he is and his truth, God attests to him and who and his truth, his miracles attest to him and his truth, the scriptures themselves attest to him and the truth of what he's saying. So he's saying, if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? And again, the, the question before, which one of you convicts me of sin? Again, he's making clear, I am not committing any sins. All I am doing is speaking the truth. And in spite of that, you want to kill me and you want to lie about me, slander me. We're going to see later on, and I think it is here in the Gospel of John, they actually make the comment, they insult, they, they, they slander him by saying he has a demon and he's a Samaritan, which are massive insults, and they'll do that. And then verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Again, he just lays it out. He, he piles it down there that... You've heard all I've said, but you act like you didn't hear any of it. And because you are doing that, you are not of God. You are not his children, spiritually, physically, whatever. You are not his children. You are of your father, the devil. He is laying it out and making that absolutely clear. Now, so it's kind of like, okay, so what does that mean to us? Well, one, we need to we need to see that the kind of the kind of contention we can get from this world has been going on for two thousand years. Actually, it's going on before that. I mean, shoot, I Isaiah being hunted, or or what was it? No, Elijah being hunted. 
um, Jezebel trying to put him to death. I mean, you name it. It's been going on. Those who are of God and those who bring the truth are hunted. They are chased. They are persecuted. So we have to expect to do that. And we can't be surprised by the fact that we'll speak the truth and they won't believe us. But at the same time, we must hold true in that, knowing that we are of God and we must be of God. And to be of God, we have to be, bring the whole counsel of God, which is the entirety of the Bible. It is very, very easy to cherry pick and bring out the easy statements of the Bible and share those and go, oh, okay, and be all sweet and nice and candy and cookies and make everybody happy. So you leave out stuff like Romans 1, half the, the epistles of Paul. You know, you leave that stuff out. We can't do that. And we were talking about it last night in leaders meeting. One of the, that I've always loved on top of the typical five solas is not only sola scriptura, scripture alone, but tota scriptura, all of scripture, all of scripture, every bit of it, whether it's hard or not. And, and that's the thing I, I, if you've never done it, um, if I remember right, R.C. Sproul has a number of um, podcasts, programs, whatever you can find over at Ligonier um, that is him dealing with the hard sayings of the Bible. It is definitely worth your while to go listen. But again, we have to use all of that. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making very, very clear that they are not of their father. God, of, they are not of God. They are of their father, the devil. And let's be clear. In this world, we are either of God or we're of the devil. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Please do not, please do not get sucked down that rabbit hole. There is no in-between. We're either of God or we're of the devil. And we want to be of God. So we have to manifest as Christ does. So again, we've got to know through this, we see, and we've seen as this is built and built and we, we ought to be, it, it honestly feels, and I know I'm probably beating a dead horse and it probably feels like it to you too, but through John five, six, seven, and eight. Now these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these chief priests, these scribes constantly going at Jesus, constantly being willfully ignorant, ignoring all the testimony, ignoring all the evidence, ignoring all the witness that he is the Christ, the son of God, which is the whole crux of the gospel of John anyways, to show that so that in believing we would have life in his name, we would have eternal life, a saving faith. So if anything, we definitely do not need to be like these guys manifesting their self-righteousness, their worldliness, their unbelief, and their willful ignorance. We cannot afford to be that because that way, leads to the lake of fire. All right, let's go ahead and close up for the evening. We're going to go ahead and end with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. 
How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.